All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to By the Numbers. This is the fourth installment, and Alex is back with me. How you doing, Alex? Well, I'm depressed now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's all over. It's all over. I had it's not looked over, at yeah. issues in a while, and I went and spent like yesterday, kind of like bringing myself up to speed, and things have gotten so much worse. So much worse. Everything is on fire. The <laughs> <Wow>. ship is sinking. <laughs> it's fucking done. <laughs> Just in the show right now. Uh, it's bad. Yeah, that's, that's it, everyone. Really uh, thir- 30 seconds of By the Numbers this week. The ship is going down. We'll see you all next week. <laughs> it, it's really funny, though, uh, joking about ending it in 30 seconds. I remember our first episode, someone in the comments said, how long will they keep to the one-hour rule? And then I had Stryker on for the third episode, and we did a two-hour show. And the... G- <laughs> The guy is, con- I think it was Spam Houston even, he's in the comments saying, oh, wow, I w- look look how quick that took. Uh, you know, you get Striker on and it's like a two-hour show. Yeah, well, we're, we're going to stick to the one-hour format because I'm here. Yes, yes, we are. Cause even, even though one I hour is not nearly enough to cover this. Oh, I know. That's the other thing. Alex and I have just spent half an hour talking about this already, and we've barely even kind of scratched the surface of the implications behind uh fertility rate collapse and, and policy failures around it and just the whole sort of miasma that there is to wade through on this issue. Yeah, I, I mean, sitting here thinking about this over the last 24 hours, I think you can kind of sum up the crisis as basically humans outlive their fertility, and that creates a whole lot of really interesting problems because it means you can have a crisis that doesn't appear to you until it's too late. Because you you look around and you're like, well, there's plenty of people here, you know, but those well, people yeah, we are have, old. We have this incredible sort of multi-decade middle age, which then leads into a multi-decade, the you know, the multi-decade deterioration of being old, and that kind of gives the society, depending on when fertility starts to go down, that kind of gives you like a seventy-year blind spot. Yeah, especially because one of the things that happens in these types of situations is people work longer. So they're working till they're 70 years. So that was one of the things I noticed yesterday. Uh, even these these uh, European countries are basically effectively raising their retirement age to about 70. And these policy experts are saying, yeah, everywhere it's going to have to go to 70, and we're going to have to just do away with the idea of retirement. Like, you're just going to work until you die. That's the new normal. Oh, yeah, I mean, that that is essentially the argument that's been made in France, mm-hmm. where they've they've been dealing with this. I know in other countries like the Netherlands and Germany and stuff where they're not as, let's say, emotive as the French, they just kind of accept it with a dull shrug. Like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm going to work until I'm 85. Yeah. And so anyway, you were you were saying that you took yesterday and went through sort of the global situation. Yeah, and yeah, while sorry. I'm. I'm sort of, you know, generally aware of it. Uh, why don't you throw some of the numbers out for the audience? Um, you want me to throw out just random numbers? Oh yeah, if you oh, have man. any 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 idea oh, in your Jesus. head. Where do you the... where do you even start? Um, <laughs> fuck. Look look at South Korea. Every time I look at South Korea, it's like their birth rate has dropped. Like, what are we down to now? Is it point eight below per one. kid? It's uh, uh, why is it that? Low? I know it was below one. I, it's been below one for a while. South Korea's birth rate. Let me take a look. I'm pretty sure it is like 0. 0.8. Uh, 
I yeah, think I'm, that's I'm where we dropped looking to. at it now. No, it's point seven eight. Oh, my bad. My bad. See, it changes <laughs> every, every two minutes. But yeah, so it was it was point eight last year, point eight three the year before point nine. Going back to twenty eighteen. Oh, my God. So wow. the reason I mentioned South Korea is they're the lowest. But by no means think that that means that uh, they're like an outlier, because in that part of the world, most of those Asian countries are not far behind, right? Like, I think, is, is China like 1.1, maybe? Um, Japan is right down there with them. Italy Italy is 1.2, sorry. I thought they were below. Oh, my yeah. God, yep. I thought so they that, were below one by now. So what is the median age in Italy now? Because we were just talking about that. 47, basically. Okay, so, yeah. Germany is 49. Yeah. All right, so that, that kind of leads into sort of the generalized discussion of this, right? So you've got really low birth rates over time, because this is not something that happened last week. It's been going on for decades. And, and it starts about, to restructure your society, right? It starts yeah, to look in, the West, in the West, we're about 50 years into it. Yeah. So what you end up with is societies that look kind of like the places that I've worked and lived, like Patrick County. Uh, and I know you're from, like, the Midwest. These regions where, effectively, your population is mostly elderly. It's mostly old people. You've got like a small young population, but they're effectively the minority. Like if you're just out and about, most of the people you run into are elderly. Well, yeah, I, I reflect on the on the demographics where I grew up, uh, a town of about 5,000 people, but there were only maybe 1,200 kids in the school system. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's, that that's, that's pretty dismal. Yeah, and this is this is such a, a big thing to talk about because this one of the consequences is you're seeing schools shutting down, maternity wards shutting down, all of those services are going away, which I well, think yeah, actually is uh, the issue. Th it's yeah. funny you mentioned that because I I thought I think I told you a bit ago there is a there's a crisis in New England now for pediatric care mm -hmm. yep. because these these hospitals in rural Massachusetts and Vermont and New Hampshire have just closed their pediatric care units. And there's this really big specialist unit in Connecticut and Hartford. And they made a promise to the state government that they will never turn away a child from Connecticut. But because these all the states surrounding them don't have pediatric care units because there's almost no point in having them because the the population of children is so low that it's not an expense that makes sense. This hospital in Connecticut is turning away deathly ill children from Massachusetts and Rhode Island. Yeah, yeah. it's just going to become a it's already a trend internationally to see this kind of thing happening, like schools just being shuttered all over Asia. Uh, so you're losing like the services that you would kind of need to have around if you if you want to encourage people to have children. Like the essential services are actually because a lot of this stuff to me it looks like it's just snowballing. So I know you had talked about policies in Japan. Japan has been in demographic decline for a long time, and so as they were losing their workforce, they decided to start putting women into the workforce, leaning heavier right. on their female population. So on which my, makes um, yeah. On the white papers podcast, we did a whole show about essentially the show boils down to historically especially in the West, women between the age of 18 and 24, they would get married somewhere around 22 and have their child's first mm -hmm. child sometime around the age of 24. That is gone now. It has yep. that, that, that cultural environment has been the, killed off. 
that's been and, a norm in uh, European culture for a really long time. So I know I, dig, I dug up some research years ago, and it, it was true of like France in the 1700s, I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was, in Canada, there was never there was <laughs> there was never a time when 15 year olds getting married was normal in our society. Yeah, that, that's always been abnormal, and that's that's one of these things that people believe with no evidence. <laughs> it's one of these stupid things people believe. The the late marriage pattern in European culture has existed for a very long time. And typically people have kids between the ages of about, I don't know, 22 to 41 seems about like the usual spread. Right. But now it, when people would get married around 22, that's, I think the average in America is now 29 for women, mm-hmm. yep. essentially 30. And maybe if you try immediately, you can have two children in the deck in the 11 years you have left. Right, right, because I think my wife had her first kid when she was 33, age she was, I think, right. which is not and, ideal. But the thing I want to kind of point out, it's not necessarily it's not ideal for just pure biological terms, because people want to become real materialistic and uh, statistically driven by this. It's it's more, to me anyway, it's more of an issue when you ha- when you delay childbearing, it means that whatever like social network you have has gotten smaller by that point, so it well, makes it, get, it harder. Yeah, it you gets rid of the it gets rid of uh, what do they call it the the grandma quotient, right? Grandma's yes. tool to help. Yep, are dead. Yeah, I mean yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> my mom. Yeah, was, that's that my is, mother was. That's the bigger factor, I think, is when you delay childbearing. The, the group of people that you would want to have around to help share that load a little bit. And, and I mean, things like just watch the kids for a day, yeah. you know, just give you a, a break. That's gone. Right. So I it's mean, just I, you and your wife. I think about my family where my mother had me at 22 and her mother had her. My, my grandma had my mother when she was 19. So, you know, my grandmother is fairly young. She's 67 now, I think. Uh, so she's always been a, a constituent part of my life. And I was amazed growing up. And, you know, all my friends were like, oh, you know, m- you know, three of my four grandparents are dead or something. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's kind of inconceivable to me on a mm-hmm. personal level. But this is now this is just common. That That's the bigger problem, I think. I mean, the, biologically. If you're in good shape, you, you can probably swing it. I mean, like I said, historically, people were having kids till they were 41. It's not when they had their first one, but that's usually when they finally stopped. It was about the age of 41, 42. Uh, but the bigger problem yeah. is that social network. Absolutely, and in, in work getting in the way. So I, you know, we outlined this on the other podcast. Women are going to college, which is putting off when they would get married, and then they're mm-hmm. getting a career, which massively puts off. Family formation. We're, we're yep. just pushing it back until you're 32, basically. Yeah, it pushes it back. And I think that's the other important wrinkle to this, because there was a, a guy who got interested in demography, and he he did, I think, an entire uh, documentary on this subject. And what he found is that it wasn't that people didn't want to have children. Everybody expressed a desire to have children, but due to their lifestyles, they would get into their 30s and still be single due to delaying formation of marriage due to career and things like that. And when you get to that age, it's much harder for you to actually form a successful marriage relationship because now you're kind of set in your ways, right? <laughs> now you're not as plastic as you used to be when you were in your early 20s. It's harder for you to get along with other people the older you get because they they cramp your style, man. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it, yeah. 
if people want numbers on this, you can look at the Institute of Family Studies, and they they have a fantastic uh, they have a fantastic set of data on the number of children women have by age group over time, and the the number of women having children between the age of twenty and twenty four has fallen off a cliff. It's more mm-hmm. than halved, and the number of women having children over thirty has gone up. But it's it's only covers like fifteen percent of the decrease. I mean, mm-hmm. we we've just completely blown out family formation. Yeah, yeah, and it's like increasing the time in your generational cycles too, which can have other problems. But yes, it's it's effectively like you've got the career system backwards. Like you could certainly have women in the workforce, but having them burn all of their younger years on education and career formation. And then have them drop out to have children. That's a really stupid model for a civilization. Like you oh, could yeah. just so, you could reverse that. You could have. I them, suggested this uh, in, yeah. in on a, a white papers uh, document I put together. I basically just suggested this: put, put women through free college or give them because mo- the majority of small businesses are started by women now. Give them small business loans to start their candle shop or whatever they like to do. I don't know what kind of businesses they start. But you can do that stuff when they're 35 or 40. And then let them let them retire when they're 55. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and as as we just discussed, like uh, if you're going to have a high retirement age anyway, why do you need to start your career when you're 22? (laughs) If you're going to be working anyway, you might as well go ahead and have your children, your family and then go work. Absolutely. (laughs) But. I think one thing uh, you and I have talked about that we wanted to sort of drive home in this conversation is that even if this issue was dealt with tomorrow, there's still a massive population implosion coming. Yeah, yeah, because that's where the median age thing comes in. Um, So many of these these countries and places everywhere, the median age is so high, the, the, the number of elderly people is so high. You, you would need to build a time machine to fix the problem. So that's what I kind of meant about the, the idea that this is a unique problem in that we outlive our fertility by so long that you don't really notice it until it's far too late. Yeah, so I've pulled up a, a Pew Research for America-specific data, a Pew Research poll. The median age for white Americans is 44, with, mm-hmm. the, most, with the most common age for white Americans being 58. Yeah, that's that's higher than it was last time I looked. Oh, yeah. I, every time, while for minorities, it's uh, the median age is 23 and the average age is 27. Yeah, but see, that number is going to be a little the, skewed because you're, you're, yeah, you're getting like a lot of young immigrants, but as soon as they get here, their fertility rate crashes out. Like the oh, well, second so, they step off the boat. <laughs> yes, and this is something I have written about before extensively which is this sort of weird idea that people cross a border and they retain their sort of cultural inclinations toward having children if you can even make that argument and for south america you can't um but whatever fertility rate they do have crashes out massively yeah 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 and i I guess we, we didn't really touch on the fact that the fertility rate collapse has basically happened everywhere. I know years ago I had mentioned, hey, South America is actually below replacement fertility. I don't know if anybody noticed that, but it's been on I remember, average and below replacement. I remember, and I didn't, I think you said it on TDS, and I didn't believe you when I Googled it, and I was like, oh, God, <laughs> oh. India, oh. India's below replacement. 
yeah, they're actually fascinating if you look at the map of the country. In the extreme north, they have a belt of people who live in really rural mountain villages who have like six and seven <laughs> TFR. Mm-hmm. And then you go you go south of the country and there are parts where it's like 1.1, 1.12. But the, of course, the I, south of the country is where everyone lives. There's something about, oh, I think it's obesity is actually reduced at higher altitudes. Uh, we're not going to go down that, that rabbit hole, but there's something about living in mountains that people that are in those regions, they, they don't have the same sort of lifestyles as, as people who live elsewhere it's it's interesting well you can't just logistically you can't prop up a massive consumer society when you live in those places right and i <laughs> and that's sort of you uh, you know we did a whole episode on rural stuff and uh, we just the massive consumer society centered around suburban sprawl is sort of uh, unavoidably leads to this yeah. So anyway, you've got effectively for t- this is the thing I find rather interesting because I've I've heard all sorts of various uh, off the wall theories about what's driving fertility rate declines, and I'm like, you you got to understand that this is a universal phenomenon, and even in countries where people will bring up places like Israel, even there, if you look at their birth rates, they're not historically speaking, they're not actually that high. Like I think among the secular Jews in Israel, it's maybe. 2.4, 2.5 at the high end, maybe. Which, yet again, according to historical patterns, that's actually very low. That's actually very low. Um, but typically speaking, any sufficiently advanced and industrialized nation on planet Earth will go into sub-replacement fertility. It just will. Or, or go towards it. Yeah, I think I mentioned before we started, Vietnam has somehow managed to hold it too, but that's an extreme outlier. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I wonder if that has something to do with like rice paddy culture, which is still very common there. These villages interspersed in massive agricultural sprawl. Uh, you know, there, there's just so much, this is sort of the problem. There's so much theorizing one could do. Yeah, yeah, but I guess situation. the... The thing that I would want to drive home is this does not seem to be the case of some sort of toxic values infecting people like feminism. Like it's not that you've got, I don't know, Japanese women have suddenly decided they're going to become feminists and they, they're they fighting against the patriarchy or something like that. Because the phenomena is just too universal. Well, I it's, agree. And there was yeah. a fascinating article I read forever ago, and I wish I had found it again for our talk, but it it was basically focused on the idea people blame the sexual revolution basically now mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not saying the sexual revolution was a good thing don't get me wrong but people blame the sexual revolution for fertility rate issues but india never had a sexual revolution pakistan yeah, yeah. pakistan never had one uh the egyptians never had one the turks never had one mm-hmm. I, the russians never had one unless you count like 1920s bolshevism but i don't yeah um, and it, if you do a deep reading on on the statistics here, you can find, I don't know, late 1800s, you would have countries that were dropping below replacement fertility. I mean, hell, you can look at the United States. It it was approaching that decades before the sexual revolution. A lot of countries hit sub-replacement before any 
any of these modern sort of cultural revolutions ever happened. They and it tended to be in places that were highly becoming highly industrial. Oh yeah, I remember reading that the German uh, in the aftermath of the First World War, the Germans were below replacement for like mm-hmm. fifteen years. Yeah, yeah. And they lived in, a, in an extremely highly industrialized, very centralized society. Yeah. And I, and and I just... I've, I've heard that they were able to bring their birth rate up thanks to some clever social policies, but I don't know that it ever would have gotten as high as it had been his, on the historical pattern, you know? Because it's people nowadays, they think that if you're above 2.0, it's like, wow, you're doing good. It's like that's actually historically the birth rates were significantly higher than that. Oh way, yeah, yeah, way higher. The the norm in the the norm in much of the West for the eighteen for the eighteenth century was around four point eight. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was up there, and yeah. I think I I don't know even if you sort of did the even if you found the perfect policy cocktail to deal with the issue, I don't think in a modern society you could ever get it that high anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the other thing is, as we've been saying, it's it's effectively just too late for most countries now because their population is too old. So you're going to have a massive population fall off at some point. It's not avoidable now. I mean, right. what, what, are you, what, what are you going to do? Impregnate 55 year old women? <laughs> and I, I always say we and I think we can. I think it's achievable policy wise. You can get the total fertility rate back to two for people below a certain age, but you're, we are not going to avoid the hurt of the bubble popping. Yeah. And I see people talk about, well, you know, that'd be good if population decline. It sounds like it'd be a good thing. I'm like, it might sound that way to you if you think about it superficially, but when your entire economic system is based on having people buying and consuming products and your uh, investments going up every year, that's not going to work. You're going to have a shrinking economy. And your current economic model is not designed to shrink. I just, again, I go back to the places you and I grew up. It's not pretty. Now it's not pretty. Yeah, what it looks like is, uh, and this sort of ties into the thing, that there's there's other consequences that people don't think about. Like when your population is old, their politics are also oriented towards the elderly, which means they don't want to be disturbed. They want to be left alone. They want to treat the areas they live in effectively like an open-air retirement home. They don't want you to bring in any kind of industry. They don't want you to bring in young people that are going to be crowding the streets and sidewalks. They want to just have their nice peace and quiet while they just sort of while away the last years of their life. So and, I just watched yeah. a show the other day, Vice did this series of documentaries on abandoned towns, basically. And this one episode went up and down the coast of British Columbia to all these abandoned, mostly abandoned, raw resource-based towns. And one of them they went to was a town, it had it once had 5,000 people. It has like 22 left. And investors kept coming in and buying up the town and the old people would block any sort of development whatsoever. Mm-hmm. They did not. They they were the town was literally like falling into the sound, the ocean, and these people were like, "No, leave us the hell alone." Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you may have noticed, I live near a railway, and at one point there was discussion of 
I believe it may have been Amazon was looking to do some sort of distribution center that would plug into one of the parts of the railway over here. And the town council shot it down because it was composed of boomers and they did not want to have the disturbance of a distribution center that would have people driving into town all the time to go to work or, you know, upending what they had become accustomed to. So from a policy standpoint, this is kind of the other trap. If you want to craft policies that would be beneficial, you're going to have increasing trouble doing that due to who makes the decisions. Well, you certainly can't do it in a democracy. <laughs> you I mean, I'm thinking now, actually, there's the, the most extreme example. Think of, uh, God, what is that huge area in Florida? It's like hundreds of square miles of old, the villages the in villages, Florida. yes. That is literally hundreds and hundreds of square miles of open air retirement home, but it doesn't have an, it's not, it's not an economy. Right. You have, you know, Lowe's and you have golf clubs and you have areas with restaurants, but that's not an economy. It's a, it's... (laughs) It's yeah, like because a, the, yeah, because if you look if you look at it economically, it's kind of obvious, right? It's like they they're spending savings, they're pulling money out of the stock market instead of putting it in. Like economically, it's bad. Like a large population of old people with lots of time on their hands is not good for your economy. Um, yeah, you can't have an entire economy based on spending your uh, Social Security check at Win Dixie. Right, <laughs> it's not gonna work. <laughs> it's not gonna work. But that is that is essentially the economy of. A massive area of Florida. Yeah. And, and the way that they've, just to be really blunt, the way that you deal with that is they've dealt with it by immigration. Yeah. And immigration, of course, is, is long term. It's a band aid because the, the thing that is probably happening already is that you're running out of places to pull immigrants from. Like, like I was thinking about this yesterday. It's like, so if you're in Asia, and your population's collapsing, where the hell do you get new people from? Seeing as how most of the countries around you are also experiencing a collapse in their fertility rate. Um, in fact, I was looking at South Korea. I was going to start talking about some of the, the policies people try to implement that are usually very short-sighted. South Korea was subsidizing, to some extent, bringing in foreign brides. And I'm looking at the countries they're pulling them from. Vietnam, of course, is way up there. But then so is China. And I'm like, but China has crashed out fertility rates. So it's like you're stealing from Peter to pay Paul over here, you know? Like, <laughs> how how well, is so, that going to work long term if everybody's crashed out? I was thinking, I just thought about this too, you know, about a million and a half people get pulled from India every year to mostly tech workers. How sustainable mm-hmm. is that? Not at all. Yeah, and the, the other thing you may notice a little bit some of these countries is the immigrants from those parts of the world, they seem to, at least, I could be wrong, they seem to be older it's like you get some older immigration from those countries. Well, they're, unless they're going to college, they're like 35 to 45. Mm-hmm. There are people sort of established, which is really weird that that would be the preferential preferential sort of selection set. But I don't think there's a choice. Right. Because there's not. And, they're, you know, I always go, so talking about illogical, because South Korea and Japan and these states sort of represent the ultimate in illogical policymaking. A long time ago, I shared with you uh, the policy response to declining fertility rates in Japan, relying on logic and hope over evidence, which is an article by Leonard J. Shopa. 
in the Social Science Japan Journal of, I think it was 2020. And Let's it sort discuss of bounced, that one, because this one's very important. Right, and it, and it sort of, one of the points it makes that totally changed the way I look at this was that he talked about things like universal daycare or cheap daycare, baby boxes, which is giving parents resources at the hospital, mm-hmm. direct payments to families, which a lot of countries do now. And he made this point, which was brilliant, and I don't have the quote in front of me, but the point in the article is essentially, which will be linked in the description for everyone, is essentially that if you step back and you take the 30,000-foot view, what is the actual logical mechanism by which the promise of $500 would make someone commit to having a child? Right. Where's the logical progression of this? And it doesn't exist. And I sat there and I, and I looked at this article and I thought, holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. But if you think about it, it's a little bit obvious, right? Because I've beat people I've hit on this. Like if you don't have a couple already, giving money to people is not going to make them have kids. You have to be in a relationship where you are considering children before that would ever work. And if you don't have that, you're just pissing in the wind. Yeah. And f- oh yeah. Here's what he talks about how Japan rate from in the 1990s to 2000, when parents would take parental leave, the amount of income the government would replace for them was for, went from 25% to 40%. And he, in Shopa points out again, this isn't a policy designed to make people have children. This policy is predicated on the idea that you already have a child and are taking time mm-hmm. off. And if you're someone who does not have a child, why is the promise of a 40% income replacement going to make you want a kid? Like the, there's no lot. Again, there's no logical pro- progression where someone says, where someone is saying, no, I don't want children. Then you tell them, Hey, <laughs> You'll get forty percent of your income when you take time off, right. and then they say, "Oh, I want a kid." Like that's not a logical progression right. that people make. But right. these are the these are the types of policies that these states are trying and failing with. Yeah, yeah, and they're spending tons and tons of money. Because I know South Korea has spent, I think, over two billion so far doing these kinds of policies, doing cash payouts, uh, doing crazy stuff like having heat maps that show you where childbearing women are on government websites, that kind of thing. Uh, subsidizing the importation of foreign brides, talking about doing things like importing nannies, all of this stuff. I mean, all, all of these like Hail Marys, you know, like, oh, try this, try that. And if, yeah, if you think logically about it, like you put yourself in the position of being a single man or woman and you've got them kind of dangling this stuff, but you don't even have a boyfriend or girlfriend. And none of these things that are being dangled in front of you are going to make you suddenly decide like, oh yeah, I should, I should definitely put myself down a partner and have a kid like right now I should do that. And this is kind of the other thing we were talking about before the show is if you're going to try to use a financial incentive to get people to get married, the amount and have kids, the amount of money you would have to actually spend would be enormous. Like we're talking 300 to $500,000 per couple. Huge oh, amounts be, of money. You'd be bribing people with fortunes basically. Yes. Like, hey, would you like to be independently wealthy? Well, you you can become independently wealthy, but you got to have a couple kids first. You would get people to sign up to, for that, sure. Right, but but that's no no state could sustain that. Right? Yeah, there's like, no way economically. It's not a it's not a logical policy. There's no way to do it. <laughs> just, but there, yeah. you know, the one thing that has worked 
and this is in the another Institute of Family Studies article that will be linked, is basically there is a huge, and you've just brought it up, there is a huge link between being married and having children. And Hungary promotes marriage instead of promoting fertility directly. And they've raised their fertility rate for 1.2 to 1.6, which, again, it's not, it's not replacement, but it's a big jump. But what do they do? They promote marriage. They subsidize weddings. They subsidize your first home and they take uh, they reduce your payment or your what you owe based on how many children you have. But that's you know, that's something they that happens after you're getting married, like which it's a totally different approach than all of these other states take. That's better, especially if you're subsidizing things like home ownership, because that's, of course, a big problem in the developed right, world is, is the price do. of homes, which is yet again, that's going to run contrary to the current greed based economic system of using property like houses to play in the stock market and essentially like scalping people on home prices like you'd have to undo all of that you you can't really use any kind of market approach here obviously like market capitalism is not going to provide any solutions here because you will need to figure out ways around those problems that are going to involve like massive state intervention it's, um, it's it's not even that it doesn't it's not even that market capitalism doesn't promote it. Market capitalism sort of in the short term actively works against it, right? Yeah. Like we want you consuming massive amounts of personal products. We want you paying rent. Uh, you know, it's, it's just not oriented toward sort of stable long-term family growth. It undermines itself in the long run. Capitalism always undermines itself in the long run, but it's only, that doesn't matter. It's about short-term profit gain. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Karl Marx predicted this would be the end of capitalism, but <laughs> no, that's actually a really good point. I, I, he probably didn't guess that <laughs> capitalism would sort of deteriorate I mean, itself to death through demographic collapse yeah right i mean that's that's kind of interesting right? well, he mean, did he, understand of course that capitalism is uh, not compatible with the human species like as a as a system it promotes the interests of capitalism which aren't identical to human interest not the slightest no but you know marx did and he was wrong about this and he was proven wrong about this virtually immediately he did in one of i think it might have even been das capital he did promote the idea that capitalism favored the nuclear family and favored childbearing because it needed that sort of right. consumptive until it didn't class and yeah. right exactly i that may, may when he wrote that that may have been true but it, that hasn't been true for forever you don't need family formation for netflix yeah 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 and he, he also pre predicted you would get communist uprisings in highly industrialized countries first and that didn't happen either Hell, we have Netflix, Alex. <laughs> uprising. Yeah, It'll right. be ridiculous. There's, there's DoorDash and, and, I mean, good Lord, why in the world would we do have an uprising? Yeah. Yeah, but I, I guess uh, back to the policy stuff. Uh, cash payments for having kids, that's, I'm not going to be against that. If you want to give me money for children, I will take it. But in terms of this being like a kill shot for reversing the problem, no. No, that's not going to have much of an impact. Um, and at this point, I don't know if I want to go digging too deep, deep in the weeds on this one, but the number of, of people that are now in their prime years, like late teens, early 30s, and that, that age bracket that are just single, that don't have 
a boyfriend, a girlfriend, any of that, and they're remaining that way, right? It's like 30% of women. Yeah, it's a huge age. number of people that are just dropped out. And incentivizing, like using financial incentives to get them to have children is literally impossible. Like you are just barking up the wrong tree. Those people, they couldn't have kids if they wanted to. <laughs> they just couldn't. Because they don't have the other part of the equation. They don't have a, a partner. Well, and, so you and have to, yeah. In, in, in most circumstances, finding a partner is not desirable to a huge amount of people anyway. Yeah. This is the other problem. How do you, how do you overcome the, there's the partner desirability issue? I don't think the state can overcome that <laughs> with policy. Not in the short term. Well, we could have the the state issued girlfriend. <laughs> oh God, yeah, because that would. You, I mean, I guess you could you could fantasize about all sorts of dystopian things that would be impossible to implement. But I mean, for that matter, sure, you could go run down sixty year old women and impregnate them. You could do that, <laughs> but you're still going to have that population contraction because of the the big gap that's formed because we'll be waiting twenty some years for that popu the new population to. Become of an age where they can work and contribute to the economy and do all that. Right, and so I, I think, and, yeah. and I sort of thought I think we're at the point where we have to sort of accept that because it's unavoidable. We have to say, okay, we can't we can't avoid the contraction, and we just have to focus on crafting policy in society where the next generation, because the current the the current living population of people sort of over 30 ain't going to do it. Right. Right. And it's it, too late for them. That's a very complicated question. Again, you know, we sort of talked about, you know, women being able to go to college later in life, which I think is a fantastic idea. Early retirement for grandmothers, family formation policies. Um, now, a common one, and I, I'm really excited to hear you talk about this, because I had no idea until you were sending me articles the other day. A very common assertion is that IVF would be a good method to help people who are older. But you've done a bit of research on this. Yeah, yeah. IVF has problems. IVF, I think the standard issue is that you, when you, t you typically have conception, it's, a, it's a, a race between sperm to get into an egg, right? And there's a selective process there. Like you get some, some sperm Darwinism going on. And you don't get that with IVF. And then there's been health issues with IVF related to blood pressure. For 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 women or the children or both? For the children. I mean, there's there's now okay, there's problems with the, the women, too, because you need to harvest their eggs. So you've got to hit them with the blast of hormones to do that. And that can cause problems down the line. But for the developing fetus, if it's developing outside of a womb, it does something in terms of remodeling the vasculature of their cardiovascular system. So even with, even at that early fertilization yeah, stage, yeah. that's remarkable. Yeah, yeah. So there. So so first of all, like children conceived by IVF tend to have some problems, and I don't know if it's it's bad enough where you you want to you want to avoid it entirely, but it's not good. And then the other really obvious thing is okay, IVF is going to be targeting couples that are what late thirties, early forties. Yeah, like so thirty-five, forty-five. So you're you're targeting like the the people near the end of their fertility anyway. And yet again, we're back to that, that classic problem of you're targeting existing couples. You're not creating new couples. You're just targeting the ones that already exist. And they'll so only not, be able to have one child realistically. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
Exactly, because they're at the very, you know, they're 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 actually past their fertility window at that point. Hence, why you're using IVF. So, yet again, it's not going to get you very far. It's probably not going to have an actual impact on the birth rate itself because it's such a small demographic you're dealing with, and you're you're just not getting enough out of it. Well, what I, I forget the article I had in a previous podcast that I did. Where they ba- they called it like the fertility rate cork, where basically there are various sort of short term shots you can mm-hmm. take that will jump it. That it, you know it might jump it by 0.2, 0.3, but then it, it slumps again about after about five years because you've just sort of uncorked a, a backup. Uh, but it's it? not a. Wasn't there a, a Russian state that tried this? They they banned abortion or something. They saw a jump in their birth rate and then it crashed again. Because uh, yeah, you, you see these measures, they'll implement them and they'll get like a little maybe a little bump here and there, and then it just drops. Russia. So Russia actually did this with. They started massively subsidizing. Number one, they started making payments, but they also started doing sort of really weird things like have a have a child and get a, a new refrigerator and stuff like they were doing these really wild policy experiments and they as they were sort of haphazardly pulling levers they did temporarily manage to get all of the people who were delaying having children for quality mm-hmm. of life issues because some people realistically some people do do that it's not nearly as big a factor as people claim but some people do. So mm-hmm. Russia's tried to address these quality of life issues. And for about a four to five year period, their fertility rate jumped massively. It, you know, it was it was like one point nine overall, two point three in rural areas. But after four years, after they had essentially addressed everyone who had a quality of life delay issue, it went back down again because all they did was remove a bottleneck they didn't you know permanently change any underlying problem yeah 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 because and this is the to me this is the kind of indicative of the major problem with these types of interventions is everyone is using the same logic that got them into the mess in the first place like you're, you're thinking about the problem from a capitalist realist perspective of well we just got to do this incentive or this financial incentive or this thing yeah, people it, just need money like yeah, stuff like that. It, it always boils down to money we'll just pay money for a service or just direct cash payment something like that and anyway, but it's actually that kind of economic thinking that probably got you to where you are it's it actually certainly got you to where you are it's well, structuring a society that, that way that's that's that, why we're in this mess that economic thinking is what led to the destruction of your your sort of rural economy and led to the destruction of the you know these sort of high labor intensive rural industries and you know sort of family social structures which resulted in large families were destroyed by this sort of efficiency based mm-hmm. economic thinking yeah because what like a, a solution i know I've, I've talked about this before like you would need to you need to get a certain po- part of your population to live the way they used to in a less dense more rural area and we have talked before about there was a recent little baby bump that happened during COVID. But if you yes. dig down and analyze it, what happened was people were moving out of the city. They were moving to rural areas. And, oh, wow, suddenly they're having kids. Like, yes, yeah, so people had made the – because you and I kind of – like we were privately chatting on Telegram at the time. 
and you were, we were like kind of not at each other, but we're like going off because someone had made the assertion that people staying home during the pandemic resulted in a nationwide suburban and they meant white baby boom. And they asserted that it was just sort of this nationwide phenomenon, but it wasn't. It happened in two very specific areas, which was Idaho and rural New England. Those were the mm-hmm. only two places it happened, Idaho and rural New England. And that is because people left the cities during COVID and they moved into more rural and ex-urban areas. Um, yeah. I'll post all that. I have like four links for this. Um, I'll, we'll have to post them all in the description. But rural Connecticut gained 1.5% in population. Rural Rhode Island was over 3%. Rural New Hampshire was 2.2%. And these are the these are the exact spots where several thousand people in these clubs, it was like 80,000 births overall. These are mm-hmm. the people who had children. It was not a result of like suburbanites staying home. Yeah, and this is it's, it's been well known for centuries that your high urban density is a problem for birth rates. Like there, there was a quote in this, uh, Borzoi is the person who, showed me this Benjamin Franklin quote for the first time, but it goes something like in cities where all trades, occupations and offices are full, many delay marrying until they can see how to bear the charges of a family, which charges are greater in cities as luxury is more common. Many live single during life and continue servants to families, journeymen to trades and hence cities do not by natural generation supply themselves with inhabitants. The deaths are more than the births. And that's Benjamin Franklin talking. So this is not like a new problem. Like this has been well known for a long time. <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, back then, ninety-five percent of the population was not urban. Yeah. And you know, I did, I did again. This was a while ago when we were talking in a Telegram chat. I did some back of the napkin math, and I think we came to about for stability, about forty percent of the population would have to remain perpetual, perpetually outside of a major urban area. That's the Jeffersonian ideal, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's because people have asked me about this kind of thing too. And I'm like, I, I don't know what the exact number would be, but probably somewhere between 25, 40% at least would need to be living rural lifestyles to have like a stable or at least a chance at a stable civilization. Right. Obviously and- cramming everybody into a hive city and then having like these, these dystopian mega farms, that is not sustainable. That is literally no, not at all. And it, and it's it's sort of remarkable because now, it, th- this period of history, more than any other, we have the technology to enable this. We have high-speed trains. We have massive canal infrastructure. It doesn't really matter if you build a factory in, you know, Gillette, Wyoming, especially if it's something, especially if it's something like... Uh, what are the like electronics? Because those just get put on a train and sent around the country, the country anyway. Like we have right. the ability, we have the technology and the ability and the logistical skill to maintain a more robust. Not, not only of, do you have it, like you literally have the railways and you already have the population centers there. Like I, I'm, I live in a perfect example of this. There's a railway that has spurs that go straight into the the little town 
all you would have to do is literally just reopen what's already there. And there's even places, because they used to, believe it or not, they used to have small factories there. You oh, yeah. could you could go back to that. <laughs> like, there's a, there's a, there's a fantastic book by Oren Cass, who's more of a conservative uh, writer, but it's called The Once and Future Worker. And he has this whole section where he basically says, you know, there's no reason that Arthur, Illinois, and I don't think he used that example as there's a small town I can think of, like, why why are we manufacturing trash cans in China yeah. when Arthur, Illinois, which has a railroad, <laughs> which has a rail line running through it, and most American towns do until you get to like Arizona, Arizona, yeah, yeah, most Mexico. of them do. Most of them do. And of course, in the 1940s, let us convert to highways. You could convert them back if you want to. But most of them do have some kind of rail access. At the very least, the route is there. Oh, yeah. And it, and we you know we have the ability to do this and it's a I say this all the time and we've been saying it on the show the state makes policy choices and it made policy choices to depopulate the sort of vast stretch of what was once industrial America. Mm-hmm. They they oh, ate man. all the seed corn. They ate the farms first and then the industry, and now they ain't got nothing left. Yeah, and I. And I sitting here thinking about it, and again, I think we could realistically pull out of it, but we're going to be pulling out of it, assuming we we ever have the opportunity to make the policy. We're going to be digging out of it in a post-industrial, very old society. Yeah, <laughs> like it's it's like a thirty-year project. Yeah, I because this is something I kind of think about too. Is like the, theoretically, there's all kinds of policy decisions that could be implemented to potentially fix these kinds of issues, but to actually pull that off is really difficult. Um, and as it gets harder <clears throat> to actually like implement these policies, it's virtually just going to be impossible for most countries. So like collapse is pretty much inedible in that regard. And then even if you can craft the policies, a lot of people <clears throat> will just knee jerk to doing the same failed stuff that doesn't work. Even if you give them, well, this is my work. Crack at it. I, I people because I, I'm more optimistic than you. I think I think there's a realistic chance of of pulling out of it. However, I worry about people sort of holding on to a fundamentally utilitarian mindset mm-hmm. because that, then that's just sort of a perpetual setback. Yeah. And I don't I don't know how we overcome that. Yeah, because there's a lot of people, even in our circles, if you put them in charge tomorrow, they will try the same failed stuff that's been oh, tried yeah. dozens of times I, before. Just... I completely agree. I, I get, I become like, like a vein pops out of my forehead every time, <laughs> every time someone says, cut a check for people to have yeah. children. I'm like, that, that, no, it, we have tried, it does not work. <laughs> Billions not have been work. spent. <laughs> Billions have been spent Does on that this. work? And, and, you know, people, I've said this publicly before, and I've had people say, oh, well, you you know, you're a conservative, you know, people will call me a name. It's like, no, I'm, I'm not against a state subsidy to, you know, support a family. The fine, if you want to pay women to be stay at home mothers, fine. I, that is perfectly fine with me. I am not going to complain about that, whatever. But when, when you say something like cut, cutting a check will result in a child that is fundamentally untrue. There is, there is no evidence of this after 
like 28 countries have tried it. Yeah, because the, the idea here is to is to achieve some kind of solution, not to just do something. We got to do something. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I do, the do something mentality. <laughs> that's that's a good way to put it. I, and it, God, it's such a complicated. You know, we've barely even scratched the surface in the hour that we've been talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, because we could do multiple hours on this, multiple hours digging into it, because there's so much nuance to it. Like one of the things, it's not. I think we've actually kind of hit on that already. It's not necessarily that birth rates have fallen for every group of people. It's the childlessness rate has gone up. Oh yeah, eighty like percent of married people still have children. Yeah, and they actually—it's pretty common for them to have them in the same proportions they have always had them. Like, oh yeah, the people that were always going to have three kids still have three kids. People who have five or seven still have five or seven. The problem is, the people that would have had one or two have just dropped out. Like, a lot of them have just dropped out completely. They're having zero. So right. It's not, There's it's, a. Because you, you hear people talk about like small family size. It's like, actually, I'm pretty sure the family size has not changed. What's changed is the amount of people who have families in the first damn place. Correct. I mean, I could just quickly Google. Yeah, Morgan Stanley estimates 45% of women in their prime working years, 22 to 44, will be single and childless. I mean, yeah. that, 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 that is a family formation problem. Yeah, that's just I think I and I think at the end of the day, rather than saying a fertility problem, which I mean, we do have one. I think what we really have is a social breakdown when it comes to family formation. That is the issue. Yeah. Yeah. And to do that, you would need to rebuild that entire complicated social culture. I don't think you can craft that intentionally from a top down sort of system I, I think you just have to create the soil for it to grow in you know yes i again i think we you could do things like making smaller towns and cities sustainable so that organic communities can arise there but i other than sort of the the seed bread prepping i don't think a state can do much yeah i think there's some pretty serious limitations to what they can do from the top down. I think you have to just create the environment and then hope that it takes off there. Yeah, but exactly. the I mean, we, we, we intentionally destroyed the environment. Yep. Which is, and, I'll never stop yeah. hammering on that. Any solution has to at least try to rebuild it instead of just scaffolding what is already broken. Because <laughs> that's yes, where we're at. Right. Like, building's collapsing. That's... You're just putting more <laughs> scaffolding around it. People are like people are desperately grabbing two by fours, like trying to hold, <laughs> trying to hold up a crumbling r concrete yep. wall. Yeah, and and by no means do I think that it's necessary that your entire population should be rural. Maybe maybe. Oh Jefferson. no, not at all. I I, I I do think I do think Thomas Jefferson's idea that like every literally everyone lives in an agrarian village is unrealistic in a, a modern industrial world, you have to have industrial centers and political centers. Again, yeah. But I, 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 yeah, I think you just have to understand that like those types of centers, they're a birth rate sink and they're always going to be like that. So you have to take that into account. Like you can't just make, you, you can't do the reverse, which we've done where you make the urban center, the, the right. ideal. I think the state hat, the state has to make the conscious choice to say that the urban area can live on its own. 
um, if properly constructed. There are problems with American City. You know, you you and I have plans to sort of go into the sort of really artificially constructed suburban aspirationalism of the post-war era, um, which I'm very excited to do. But, you know, the state has to make the conscious choice to say, well, you know, no, we don't want to put we don't want to put a fact another factory or institution in San Francisco. We want to build it in, you know, Pueblo, Colorado. To which we use, yeah, and yet again, we used to do that. Uh, oh, yeah. Lots of, lots of parts of this country, like the boom time is the 50s, and it was small towns that had industry, and they were they were doing really well. Well, we, covered it. we, we covered it in the destruction of the, the Yeoman Farmer episode. Most towns had food processing, canneries, seed grain, mills, there, there was an active rail yard to transport all of this stuff. I mean, it was a proper economy. Yeah, that, and they that, weren't that's gone. It's just totally they gone. weren't crammed like cheek to jowl in like a, a freaking uh, hive city. They they had space. They they uh, didn't yeah, suburb. feel <laughs> <laughs> suburbs give me heart palpitations. I hate yeah. suburbs. Yeah, they did. They didn't feel like they were just crammed into an urban setting. Like you could work your factory job and then you could go to your little house just outside of town. Oh, yeah, God. And by outside of town, I mean within walking distance of town. Right, you could take your bike, yeah. drive. A lot of people. <laughs> I love the videos of uh, people. I, I grew up in one of these towns. People would drive their tractors into town. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. No, I'm familiar with that. <laughs> Many a time, I've been yeah. stuck behind someone driving a tractor through town. I mean, Many a time. The the actual real lifestyle used to be that you would go to town once a week. Oh, yeah, when you had to go to the grocery store. Yeah, when you do your shopping, you go to town. Yeah, that's the only time I ever, I mean, now, naturally, I was bussed through town to go to school when I was a kid. But, like, when my family would go to town was the once-a-week Walmart trip. Oh, yeah, simple enough. I remember Walmart first really took off. (laughs) (laughs) I see, Walmart, we have a, it was a town of, like, 4,800, now it's, like, 4,200 people. And it has a Walmart super center. Like the 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 damn place has everything. Yeah. It it killed the town. I mean, that's another. That's another. I remember uh, there was a hilarious episode of TDS where, where you said that every town should have its own lumber mill, and Mike said, "No, Home Depot is fine." <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I kind of uh, I kind of like that every town a lumber mill idea. Um, well, I mean, it's how it used to be. You know, I've sort of got it's really funny. I've gotten to this point with my own politics where when I see an argument about efficiency, I just automatically think, fuck that. Like I yeah. that I hate that argument. I think it's a misnomer. I, I think the efficiency means well, it's like we're mortgaging something over here to push up a value over there. Like we're sacrificing I, I, one thing to enhance something else. That's what we mean by efficiency. Yeah, I, I agree with that characterization. And uh, any any final words there, Alex? Uh, no, we're going to keep this down to an hour, and I think we're pushing oh, yeah. it already. <laughs> I'm, I try to be – of course, I wasn't going to cut Stryker off, and I'm very grateful for him for co-hosting. I'll have him back again, but I like my hour cut off. Yeah, I do too. All I right, think that's everybody. the right size. Bye-bye. Yep.